0: Another episode of Wizards After Dark. I'm your host, Fred Katz. I of the Wizards for the Athletic, and I'm the host of Wizards After Dark. And uh, for the second time in three games, we're doing this after a blowout win for the Wizards. 123-106 over the 76ers. And I'm here with, honestly, the guest that I've been most excited to have.
1: <laughs>
0: Steve Buckhans.
1: That's not possible, Fred. Come on. Really? mean, Yeah. That's true. What other guests? That's a, that's you've a, had a myriad of
0: <laughs> other guests, that's, that's how bad the guest is. <laughs> Pretty bad. <laughs> now I understand. Um, I, I'm not even going to intro who you are. I don't even think I need to.
1: Well, if there are people uh, that are listening that aren't from Washington or don't know, uh, I'm a native of, of Washington and have been a sportscaster here since 1984 and have been doing the Wizards games, play-by-play for the television of the
0: Wizards broadcast
1: for 22 years.
0: I think if somebody listens to a niche wizards post game show podcast right. and they don't know who the team's play by play guy is that's a I, problem I need to meet yes that person, yes, that is a really weird person, yes, no, you're
1: right uh and um that's why it's funny sometimes when I'll meet somebody and, you know, if they're Big Wizards fans and they say, oh, you know, I, they don't know who I am or whatever. I say, do you ever watch the games? They say, well, sure. I say, well, that's me. That's the, my voice doing the yeah. games. So, yeah, if you are a Big Wizards fan, at this point you should probably know. Again, 22 years, 20 with Phil Chenier and the last two with Carol Lawson. I'm
0: going gonna, I'm gonna to quote you out of context on that just to make you sound arrogant. Okay. If you're a big Wizards fan, you should know who I am. <laughs> 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 let's let's hope. I mean, look, when I was young, watching the
1: Bullets, which I did, I knew all the guys. And, and you know, the radio was, was Tony Roberts, who was tremendous. Uh, obviously, Frank Herzog made the call when the team won the championship in 78, but 77-78. Uh, but... Um, my favorite guy was Jim Carvelis, who was just a fabulous play-by-play guy. People in New York know him because he went up to do the Knicks after he left here, but was a wonderful man. Just couldn't be nicer. And again, you know, you grow up, listen, I, when, when I hear these young guys, like I took a picture with a kid tonight and he said, uh, man, I I've been watching you since I was a little kid. And of course that made me feel really old. And, um, But but I understand that because when I was young, I grew up watching guys and listening to play-by-play guys like Jim Carvelis, who was just, for me, you know, when I hear his voice even now on some old tapes, uh, the hair stands up on the back of my neck. Like when I see Earl Monroe video, uh, I get goosebumps because, you know, the Pearl was my idol growing up.
0: Right. No, I get... your local play-by-play guy, if you're a big sports fan growing up, yeah. it always, same thing with the local columnist. I don't know if the columnist is the same thing as it used to be yeah. 20 years ago because right. there's so much more content now, right. and there's so many people who just kind of do analysis, and mm-hmm. there's so much good analysis mm-hmm. coming from people, a lot of people who don't even have access. Right. But I think the play-by-play guy has still stood out. Like, for me growing up, it was John Sterling. I'm sure. from New York, so it was John yeah. Sterling. It was Michael K. Right. Uh, even, even from a color standpoint, it was Clyde Frazier. Sure. I grew up a Clippers fan, so it was Ralph Lawler. Right. I loved Ralph Lawler. Yeah. I would find whatever I could to hear, oh, me, oh, my. Right.
1: Uh,
0: and so, like, those guys, Bob Wischusen on the Jets. Uh-huh. Like, it was those guys, and, and I hear those guys' voices, and it's like, yeah, you know, immediate. I would recognize their voices before I would recognize their faces. And,
1: and it would take you back to those days. hmm and, and that's how I am. And not just with... The local guys, although, you know, I grew up watching Warner Wolf, who eventually left Washington and went to New York and then came back to D.C. But he really, uh, and I won't get into the whole thing, but uh, Warner Wolf is and should be credited for being the guy that basically started almost everything you see on television nowadays. Um, when you see these guys on ESPN or whatever they happen to be on, and you know they're at the table and they're giving you this. Hey, stop! Bang! Boom! Get out of here! You know that's Warner Wolf. Chris Berman is a Warner Wolf clone. He grew. He he came up watching Warner Wolf when he was in New York, and so Warner Wolf was the first guy in the country, really, maybe along with a guy named Vince Bagley who was in Baltimore, to be that kind of a sportscaster. You know, Warner had the Boo of the Week and let's go to the videotape and all that stuff. He was the first guy ever to do that. So when you see these guys today. In some way, shape, or form, they're doing Warner Wolf. They may not even know it, but he started it, and he should get credit for all of it because he was that way. And play-by-play guys, you're right. I I think back to guys when I hear their voices. Kurt Gowdy and Lindsey Nelson and Ray Scott and these great – you know, Pat Summerall and Tom Brookshire and these great voices that did play-by-play and and all – uh, it takes you back. It takes
0: me back, and um uh, those are some great memories well that's like that's a lot of what the great ones do because if you if you look at great sports moments, a lot of them are paired with audio that's just as iconic. sure you know you look at Bobby Thompson's home run, right, and you can't see that Bobby Thompson home run. Maybe you were fortunate enough to be at that game right. But you can't see that Bobby Thompson home run and not hear the audio. Right. It. Like there are certain plays where you you can't you can't see. I can't watch Hank Aaron's seven hundred and fifteenth home run yeah,
1: 15th, yeah.
0: without hearing the audio. You know, like it's 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 immediately connected historically in those big moments.
1: Yeah, and I'll tell you a story about that home run, um, which is interesting if you can see the tape, and most of us have seen it. But if you can watch it all the way around when he comes to home plate, obviously it happened at at Atlanta-Fulton County Stadium. And when he rounds third base, two guys sort of come out from what looks like maybe the dugout area or whatever. And one of them uh, is wearing a full-length overcoat, sort of an overcoat. They're not fans. These are guys that were covering the game. But one of them is Craig Sager, who was covering the team even back then in Atlanta. That's how long he worked in in Atlanta, and eventually that's how long he worked for Turner. But that's him. So if you see Hank Aaron running around third and coming towards home, a couple of guys come out of sort of nowhere to walk up to him and congratulate him while he's running to home plate, and one of those guys is Craig Sager. Uh, So, I mean, that's just a little tidbit. If you can ever watch the tape that long, it's kind of neat to see that.
0: That's also, I know exactly the moment you're talking about. That, to me, is one of the ultimate Look at how much times have changed. Oh and sports God, most yes. Could you imagine? Yeah. Could you imagine that happening yeah. today?
1: Although, I'll tell you what's interesting is that in the same vein, with exposure and, and everything that we see today, with coaches being interviewed on the sideline, during games, hockey players in between periods, with all of that exposure, and it really was NFL films that started all of this, uh, trusting. Uh, you know, uh, an athlete trusting the broadcaster to be able to do a live interview during a game or in some fashion like that. Um, they, they realize with this exposure, these players and these coaches realize that that's going to help them. It's going to help the game, it's going to help viewership, it's ultimately going to help market them and market their career. Uh, back in the day, that stuff wasn't allowed. You didn't see that. We didn't have microphones on people, maybe in some fashion, but, again, it was NFL Films that, that did that, Steve Sable and and you know and, and those guys, um, and his father, Ed Sable. So uh, that, back in the day, you wouldn't see that kind of coverage or exposure. Now, because of exposure and because these teams and broadcasters have to work hand-in-hand, now you see cameras on the field, in huddles. I mean, not, you know, like I was watching one of the NFL games the other day, and the guy was in the end zone. I and mean, as soon as he went in the end zone, the guy with a handheld camera was in the end zone with him. Well, that would have never been allowed. They'd have kicked that guy off the field. But now you get extra access because of what we're used to seeing. We have come to expect to see see
0: exposure and to, and to, and to have access to these guys. Speaking of working hand-in-hand... How about these wizards? They so they they win tonight 123-106. They got crushed by 17. They trailed as much by as uh, trailed by as much as 31 last, last night. night in yeah. Philadelphia. Right. They end up losing by 17. Tonight they win by 17 right. in a game they led by as much as 26. Beal was excellent as good of a game as he's really played all year 34 on 21 shots he hit a season-high six threes Otto Porter had 23 off the bench and he took 15 shots and I think the Wizards are putting on party hats and throwing streamers (laughs) and everything you could possibly imagine I think they're doing shots of tequila in the locker room because Otto Porter is shooting the ball the last three games and and the defense looked good two out of the last three now they've blown out a legitimately like the Thunder are really good and they beat the, them at home and in, the, in, in OKC. The Sixers are really good. Yeah. Like they're they're playing pretty good basketball right yeah. now.
1: Well, and it shows you um, in a course of an 82 game season what can happen in the span of 24 hours. Last night they get blown out and they just are manhandled in Philadelphia. Uh, come here to Washington in less than 24 hours and play the same team again with different results. Um, Clearly, their defense was much better in this game tonight, in the second of the back-to-back. Their focus was much better. They were more physical. They were hitting shots. Now, last night in Philadelphia, they got off to a good start and built a 10-point lead, but then the Sixers just steamrolled them. That didn't happen tonight. Tonight, they got off to a good lead, and they didn't lose it, and they they kept it and, and kept building on it. Porter's huge. It'll be interesting to see if Scott Brooks continues to bring him off the bench. You know, I mean, he's clearly a legitimate starter, but how valuable has he been coming off the bench? That's great to have, and, uh, you know, very helpful because you got a lot of young guys coming off the bench now. They're getting good role play from guys like Sam Decker and Jason Randall, and Thomas Bryant has been just a breath of fresh air for, for Wizards fans and Bullets fans who you could probably go back to Moses Malone the last time they had like a really great big man. I'm not ready to anoint this kid as great yet, but he's baptism by fire. He's learning rapidly. I mean, this is only his second year I and mean, he played 15 games last year for the Lakers. But look what he's doing. I mean, and he's learning. He's got a lot to learn, but he's got natural ability and talent. He can shoot the ball. He's got energy. He plays with enthusiasm. He gets rebounds. He can block some shots. Uh, it's tough to play Joel Embiid or anybody, but he's. I'm excited about this kid because we haven't had a really good big man. Martin Gortat was good. He was very serviceable, but um, this guy is in his second year. I mean, he could be really, really good. And and Mahinmi's been playing great. So you know, all it was a collective effort again tonight. Jeff Green, Sadaransky, all these guys that played. Um, it was a, it was a big win. It was a good win. It shows you that when they focus like this. They can beat the really good teams. The key is to focus and play like this for the bulk of 82 games. Nobody can play for all 82 games, just like nobody can play for all 48 minutes like this. But if you do it for the bulk of the season, you got a chance. Now, the question is, did they dig themselves too much of a hole here in this this season, undermanned as they are?
0: So, Thomas Bryant, the thing that I think they should be so encouraged by, and he had nine points and six boards tonight. He was a plus 13 in 14 minutes. And the thing I think they should just be so encouraged by right now is that he's got this stretch now against tough centers. He had Whiteside, then he had Adams, then he had Embiid, then he had Embiid. It's not exactly the easiest four-game stretch. And the thing they should be encouraged by is not necessarily that he survived it. It's that he didn't play well against Whiteside. He was really bad for the first four or so minutes against Adams. And then came out in the third quarter, and he was a lot better. He was not great in the beginning of the game against Embiid. And then he played pretty well in the second half amidst a blowout. But those you can even throw those minutes away because yeah. maybe it was a blowout. Maybe it's irrelevant. Same thing happened tonight. Not great at the start. And he kind of figures it out. Bounces back. He had a great third quarter. Yeah. When they had that, they, I think, scored the first 23 points of the third before Bradley Beal scored right. in the second half. So Bradley Beal had a tremendous amount of their points at the start of the game. And they're scoring as a team in the start of the third, and Thomas Bryant was a huge part of that. He's ripping rebounds away from Embiid and finishing second-chance points on powerful dunks. I mean, that's not what he was doing at the start of the game. And I think with a player that young, and Scott Brooks said after the game that there are players who are that young who they're going to get off to a bad start, and they get down on themselves, and they discourage, and then it's just like they check out for the rest of the night because they didn't play well. And he didn't chalk it up to a guy not wanting in or not being competitive. It's just like, that's just what young people do. I mean, that's just like a, it's a thing that inexperienced people do in any profession, in any habit that they have in their life. And Thomas Bryant's doing the opposite. That is an encouraging thing because he clearly has offensive talent. And and it's like, it's showing. He is, Wizards fans should be excited because it's a real, it's
1: a real positive. Yes, for them. I'm, I'm, I'm a Wizards fan and I'm very excited. Uh, we call it baptism by fire. I mean, and, and he's learning on the, On the run. I mean, he's learning on the fly. Uh, You know, he there were a couple of plays where Embiid went up and under, and Thomas had his arms out and got called for the foul. And that happens to a lot of people, but that's a learning experience for him. He's going to learn that against a good player like like Embiid or a James Harden or whoever that happens to be that can do that, that can get that kind of foul. You got to watch with your arm stretched out like that when you're when you're trying to keep your distance with them on on defense, and you put your arm out to try to check them a little bit. They'll come up under like that, and a foul will be called every single time. So that's going to make him aware of plays like that. So to your point, learning on the fly, and seems to be, uh, you know, uh, perceptive enough to to pick up on some of these things, and that's what excites me about him as well. I think he's. He's showing me a lot of all-around stuff. I mean, I look at him as an athlete. He seems very athletic, uh, and he's able to rip down some of these rebounds. I watched him bring the ball up over the court, over the timeline. You know, he's got a good shot. He can shoot. He's knocked down threes. Um, So he's got all of those, you know, necessary, you know, uh, things that that, that you have to have to be a really good player. One time he came up over the half court, waited patiently and then saw Trevor Ariza cutting to the basket and threw him a great pass and he was able to score on. That's court awareness.
0: Yeah. So yeah.
1: he's got what appears to me to have a pretty high basketball IQ or at least really good court awareness that's going to make him, I think, a very good player.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the step the step for him, I think it's pretty clear at this point that he's going to be a real offensive player. The step for him is on the defensive end, specifically pick-and-roll defense. Yeah. Like, his his footwork is all over the place. He backpedals a lot yeah. defensively, like, too much yeah. for your center to be backpedaling. But he's 21. Yeah. Like, he has a lot of time to learn. He is seven years away from his prime. Yeah. And, but you know what the good part is for the Wizards is that – he was a second round pick who got waived and claimed off waivers and coming into this year, who knows if he doesn't play an NBA game ever again, right? And now we're talking about, well, he's seven years away from his prime. Right, right. That's pretty good. Right. Because I don't think that's a thing I don't think seven years away from his prime being in the NBA yeah. was at all something that we considered coming Not at into this all. year.
1: And if he can, you know, continue to progress like that and if the Wizards can hang on to him. Uh, yeah, that's that's something to look forward to. And some of these other guys, too, Jason Randall and Devin Robinson and Troy Brown and, you know, McRae, who's been in the league a couple of years. Uh, they got some decent young players. I don't know how much playing time they'll get as the season wears on. Depends on the game. Depends on their record. All those things. But lately, they've been getting a little playing time. Last night because of a blowout. Tonight because of a blowout. But uh, the more playing time they get, I think, you know, you can see them. And if you see them in the G League like this kid Devin Robinson, who's just like a star in the G League. And McCray, last night, has 43 points in the G League. Um, they could perhaps manifest themselves into decent players in the NBA. And that's that's also something down the road to look forward to with this Wizards team.
0: Okay, I want to talk. Um, you have a couple minutes to talk defense and Beal before we wrap? Sure. Uh, just because I don't think I can do a podcast and not talk about Bradley Beal tonight. Because yeah. he, was, he was great. Yeah. So Beal all season... He's been really good this year amidst all their other struggles. He's been quite good. I actually think he's been pretty good defensively this year, especially in fourth quarter as he really locks down. He's been a better creator than ever before. He's been as good of a rebounder as ever before. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's He's been a better pick-and-roll guy. He's been better at creating his own bucket, but he hasn't been making threes. And tonight he hit six of them. Yeah. Season high. And you just feel like there's no reason why he's not hitting his threes. Yeah. You've been waiting for him to get hot. Yeah. And he even said something after the game, to paraphrase him, where he said, a wise man once told me that if you're not, what was it, you're either hot or you're due. Right. Which is a very optimistic way to look at things. It is. That's good I look at look things at like of I'm either, I'm either cold or I'm due. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, maybe he's getting hot now because you're just waiting on it. He's yeah. too good of a shooter to just shoot 34% from three for an entire season. Right. You're just waiting on that 10-game stretch where he shoots 45 from three, you yeah. know? And and maybe, maybe it's coming. I mean, he's six for 11 tonight. He's been playing so well the last, you know, however many games it's been without Wall. He looks like he can really be a legitimate guy to lead a decent team. Mm-hmm. You're just waiting for that to happen. Maybe it's happening.
1: Yeah, well, he's clearly playing at an all-star level. That's obvious. Um, I'm not surprised a little bit. I'm... I'm pleasantly surprised at the three-point shooting because I agree with you. He's so good, and he's such a good shooter, that when he doesn't make them uh, or doesn't hit them at the end of a game or in a clutch situation, you're like, shake your head, and you disappointed. Uh, you just feel like he's going to make them. It's kind of like when he steps to the free-throw line. He's not a great free-throw shooter, which astounds me. Uh, and I used to talk to Phil Chenier about this all the time. Uh, how can somebody that's such a good shooter go to the free-throw line and just not be, you know even Austin Rivers, who obviously wasn't a great shooter, but still, you're a professional, and in his case, a guard or whatever. You go to the free-throw line, you should shoot better than 64%. Uh, so that, I wonder sometimes about Bradley, uh, why he's not a better free-throw shooter, but maybe there's other things that go into that. He's an all-around player. I'm not surprised by the rebounding. He led his college team in rebounding the one year he played at Florida. Uh, and he knows that if this team is going to be competitive, he's got to go in there and get rebounds, just like everybody else on the team, whether they're guards or forwards or centers or whatever. So he's doing his part to help the team in that regard. Defensively, I mean, he's always been both ends of the court kind of a guy. You know, he he he, he, tr- he looks to lock down defensively. I mean, and the other thing about him is he comes every night to give you 110%. I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's the truth. He, he comes to play hard. My... Biggest concern really was, if you remember the first four years he was here, he had a stress reaction in his leg each year, mm-hmm. and they couldn't quite figure that out, but I guess they got it figured it out, and he's been durable lately, which I hope he's able to be, and it looks like he's going to be, but he averages the third most minutes in the league
0: mm-hmm. behind
1: Harden and Davis, and... um
0: I, you know, they're putting a lot of pressure on him. He's playing a lot. Yeah, I was wondering that tonight because tonight he plays 37 minutes. Yeah. And this it's is just, a game... That's it, right
1: around his average
0: 36 or so. Right, and this is a game where they had it locked up yeah. the whole way through. Like, yay, Philadelphia made it a little bit close at the yeah. end. They cut it to 14 or whatever it, it was. 12, yeah. But but it's not like Philadelphia is within four and it's like, oh, no, you got to put Bradley Beal back in. Right, You might be able to save, and I realize if the Wizards blow this game, then... You look like an idiot if you do this, and then you're on the other end of criticism. But you might be able to save Bradley Beal an extra two minutes or something like that. I don't know if Brooks is ever going to necessarily do that. I've talked to him about it. I'm sure you have too. He doesn't really believe – he thinks minutes are overrated. He thinks that there are other ways to rust guys, and he's not the only person in basketball history to believe this. A Mm -hmm. lot of people believe it, Mm -hmm. that the minutes are what we – grade people on on how tired they are because that's what we see right. but instead of playing him 34 minutes and instead of the 37 in a game he can just rest him in practice he can rest him on an off day he can have him sleep late he can have other things they do you know they wear their catapult technology that you know ties up to their bodies and measures their heart rates and their pulse and all that's the same thing and mm-hmm. And, you know, other things, They're breathing and senses how tired they are and what's being lazy and which sides of the body they're favoring and all those sorts of things. And they use that technology to determine when Beal's going to sit and practice and what exercise he has to do and that kind of stuff. And so there's more to it than just the minutes. Maybe we're being too simplistic when we look at the minutes. That being said... Being top five in the league in minutes is a really heavy workload when you're a first out. He's not P.J. Tucker. Right. Well, P.J. Tucker is getting a ton of minutes in right. Houston, but he's he's not a heavy option. You know, right. Bradley Beal is having a huge workload on both sides of the yes. ball.
1: And, and the way he plays, if you watch him, you know, he, he's a catch-and-shoot guy. He's developed his own shot, and he dribbles probably more than he should, but he's a catch-and-shoot guy, which means you have to work hard to lose your defender, come off screens. He's always in motion. I can't imagine how somebody said he ran three miles a game. I think he runs more than that. Referees run five miles a game. So um, I, I he works really, really hard. So it's not just 36.3 minutes. It's 36.3 really active minutes. There's a difference. You know, it's not just minutes. It's how you play. And he plays hard for 36 minutes that he's in there. So that's the thing that... Um, You know, I mean, it's concerning to me. I don't know enough about it. I mean, like you say, Scott Brooks and these guys know more about it. I just hope he's able to be, you know, resilient enough to last and play like this for what they need him to play because they need him to play like this because the other guys are out. Yeah, for
0: sure. And quick observation before we wrap up. Mm. Uh, Defense is looking a little bit better, a little bit more consistent. They're actually communicating now, which is – an encouraging thing to see. Like, beginning of the year, there's just no communication. And honestly, uh, I think a decent amount of it is just John Wall not being there. You right. look at you look at the numbers and John Wall's, the on-off numbers, they're like six points per 100 possessions, better with John Wall not on the floor. And almost all of that is on the defensive end. And I think uh, you could just see a lot of John Wall's lack of movement. And, and I think there's one way to phrase the numbers, which is, ah, oh, they're better without John Wall. I don't know if that's the right Take from those numbers. I think the right take might be, man, John Wall really wasn't himself because of that injury. Sure. Like I, re- I really think that <clears throat> might be. Yeah. I really think that might be the right takeaway. And you look at the way he was defending this year, and he was switching when he wasn't supposed to, and he was not necessarily closing out on guys. Every single thing that he did was just to limit his own movement and that takes a toll on the defense because you get the unnecessary switches you get guys having to rotate when they don't realize they're going to and then the offense is one pass ahead of the defense and guys are in the wrong spot and you're not seeing that as much now and I think guys are becoming more familiar they've cycled so many people in and out and I think it just they're never going to be a great defensive team but I don't think if they play like this they're certainly not one of the five worst like they were for most of the year well they've been better as you said at certain things
1: their challenges have been really twofold. Screen and roll, defense, and defending the three. Um, you know, we saw that in Houston where the Rockets you know, had 26 three-point shots, NBA record. you got to, at some point, cover it. Sometimes it's a question of picking your poison. Do you go out there to try to cover it, and then you end up getting beat inside? Or do you just sit back and hope the guys don't make it? Well, that's what they did against Houston, and guys made them. So uh, they've, they've been challenged with that, not just this year, but I want to say for the last Decade. You know, I've watched them, and it's not just something that's just happening. They've never been good at defending the three. Screen roll is a whole different story, and they haven't been, but they're much better at that. They're better at their switching, they're better at whether guys go over picks or under picks. They seem to be making better decisions. Some of that's coaching, some of it is the player's willingness to just do what they have to do. So defensively, uh, they're doing a better job. Um, uh, tonight, I thought, you know, they got great minutes from Jan Mahinmi. You know, and people are kind of down on him sometimes. He had a big contract and whatever, but he played well in this game. I think he played well, you know, in a couple of the other victories. So, um, again, a collective effort, but defensively, that's where you, you know, you win games. It's, again, another cliche, but when people say you win games with your defense, uh generally they, generally they score enough points in games to win games, but you've got to stop the other team at some point. And they got some big stops tonight. You know, they really were physical with Embiid. He still had 35 points or whatever he scored. But they just did a good job defending these guys as, as best they could, and, and that was key
0: to this victory. Great. Well, you can find Steve everywhere wizards. Everywhere you need wizards, mm-hmm. you can go get them. Uh, what's your Twitter handle?
1: At Steve Buckhantz. It's nothing creative. It's just me. I don't I really should have remembered that I'm not, you know, I don't tweet a lot. Um, I tweet when something is very uh, interesting to me or I come across a situation I'm in and I take a picture or something like that. But I'm not big on it. And the day I retire, I may not ever tweet again. I don't know. But uh, I know that's the way of the world right now. So, yes, at Steve Buckhantz is a a good way to uh, get in
0: contact with me. Great. And uh, you can subscribe to Wizards After Dark on iTunes. You can leave five stars if you're feeling extremely generous or leave a review down there. Like I always say, that really helps if you're a fan of the show. With the ratings and stuff, I will be back on Friday night after the Milwaukee game with another guest. Uh, This is a really tough stretch for the Wizards. I mean, they had at Oklahoma City, at Philly, home for Philly, home for Milwaukee, and home for Toronto. That is a ridiculously tough stretch, and so far... They're 2-1 to start it, which is honestly probably as great as anyone could have realistically hoped for. Uh, I'll be back on Friday after the Milwaukee game. I'll talk to you guys then.